This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical advice. It exists only to entertain. We travel now to Hampton Court Palace, southwest of London. The date is October 15th, 1562, and a young Queen Elizabeth, the first of England, at the beginning of her reign, has just taken ill. And thus our story begins in the royal bedchamber of the Queen. Oh, Lord Robert Dudley, protector of the realm, and gorgeous man whom I love, but am most certainly not having an illicit affair, I am struck of a sudden with faintness, fever, and a splitting headache. Please send for the best doctor in the realm. Oh, certainly, Lizzie. I shall do so post-haste, my queen. I have returned with the esteemed Dr. Burkhart to heal your troubles, my love. Uh, mm. <clears throat> my queen? Long live the queen! Long live the queen! Good afternoon, madam. Let's see what seems to be the trouble. Ah, aha. I see, I see, I see. Well then, my liege, it appears that thou shalt have the pox. What? But I don't even have spots yet. No, 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 I cannot get the pox. I don't care for the pox. I don't like the pox. I positively loathe the pox. It will ruin my beautiful visage. Uh, what's a visage? My face, dear. We look on the bright side, madam. You have a 50-50 chance of dying from it, too. Then you'll be able to avoid all of this tedious ruling the realm business. Or you might at least go blind and not have to look at yourself anymore. Ah, nonsense. I just had a headache. How could you even think to say that, Doctor? To me, the Queen! Long Long live live the Queen! Long live the Queen. Long live her. Oh, I don't know. Considering all of your handmaidens are dropping dead like flies with bumps and pustules and all over their faces and bodies, I just thought perhaps maybe the pox might be affecting you too. Oh, you just thought the pox, did you? How away the knave out of my sight before I decide to have him beheaded. You heard her. Get out, knave. Well, I never. And so Dr. Burkhart left the palace banished in a state of indignation. Yet no sooner had he left than Elizabeth I fell ill into a feverish coma, and spots began to appear all over her famed face and fair figure. Hence Lord Dudley rode out to find the good doctor and fetch him back post-haste. And if Dudley does, can Burkhart bear the beast bearing his blasphemous bumps about beautiful Beth's veritably vivacious visage? Stay tuned for the next chapter in this Elizabethan drama of stupendous stakes and smallpox. Welcome everyone, this is Poor Historians, a podcast delving into the archives of medical history. As three emergency physicians, we will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. Gentlemen, are you ready to cast a pox on this show? <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes. And- I don't know how many pox puns I can take, man. <laughs> Yes. Are, are we gonna are we gonna clarify that as a pun? I mean, it's, or classify it's it small as? humor. I mean, come on. It's just I didn't have to work that hard, but I don't know if that's my my talent with puns or or just not a very good pun. 
Yeah, I don't know that that's your strength, Max. Well, let's just move past that then. So uh, uh, shout outs, announcements. Well, you know, I have to uh, admit a little embarrassment. We totally forgot to mention Thanksgiving in the episode that just came out because that's what happened when you record in batches and you don't realize when some episodes are going to get released. So I wanted to wish every hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving this past week and uh, spent it all with your family members. And there was minimal arguing around the table as it uh, should be. So... Now, while all of our episodes are indeed special, this one is also special because we have a special guest collaborator with us today. Hailing all the way from Chicago is James Wilkie. He comes to the show fresh off the completion of an artist in residency program with the International Museum of Surgical Sciences in Chicago, where he spent the better part of 2022 researching and developing an exhibit on smallpox. This included an artist talk on the matter as well as play readings and an exhibit that has been running up until December of 2022. Prior to that, however, James was an Emmy Award-winning director as well as an Emmy-nominated TV producer. He's been working as a CPA for the past decade, and he is a professional writer that is working as well on an upcoming young adult fantasy novel and middle-grade horror novel, maybe a series even, coming in 2023. He's also revising a few plays, you know, as you do, and writing a horror musical set in World War II Italy, think Sweetie Todd-esque. It goes without saying that James is a lover of history, science, and horror, as well as fantasy. And with that background, we are obviously crazy thrilled to have him on the show today. Welcome, James. Hello. Was that all completely accurate and flattering, hopefully? That was awesome. Thank you. Yes. All right. Nailed it. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I know. I can't wait to watch the horror musical. I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's so cool. Yeah. I've been I've been working on it for years, and I'm really hoping that uh, that I can get to the reading stage in 2023. You know, yeah. connect with the local theater here and everything. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, you know, with that, somehow even James not only uh, helped us with the episode, but basically wrote the entire episode, and we didn't even have to put him up to it. Like he actually volunteered to do this, put an amazing amount of work into it, and he did the entire artist in residency program anticipating this moment. And so it's <laughs> totally. really, really, uh, you know, <laughs> we're very flattered that you went to all that work, my friend. It was very thought out. You know, I. I yeah. <laughs> this is on brand for emergency physicians. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, we just yeah, we just find people that are better at stuff than us and call for help. That's that's pretty much what we do. So it is this is what we, we did do, here. Yeah. We're like, hey, just get the right people in the room. Hey. Yeah, exactly. Find somebody who knows, call for help. Speaking of which, since we did, uh, we wanted to call in uh, at least uh, you know resident expert on a certain topic in medical history. Uh, let, let's uh, let the cat out of the bag. What are we going to be talking about today, James? Uh, we are going to be talking about smallpox. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. So, so today we're going to talk about smallpox uh, and its history in the world. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a smallpox world after all. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Not a lot of people on the line for that ride. Yeah, oh, that man. Disney ride would be horrifying. <laughs> little... As the Disney ride is, but yeah. It is. It's already horrifying. Yeah, there'd just be vomiting, <laughs> blood. <laughs> it's like, it's it's scary, you know, and you can't get off mid-ride either. You just have to go right through till the oh, end. Oh, no, you're stuck all you the know, way through you, going you so survive. slowly. It's a, it's a survival ride. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, to speak about smallpox, though, it has afflicted humanity for possibly 16,000 years. 
And that's based on um, genetic, like scientists' genomic analysis, basically the study of the genetic makeup of disease combined with historical evidence. Basically, what I think they've discovered genetically is that it's, it's a disease that's been in the human population for like at least 16,000 years from when it jumped from animals to humans. And of course, they wouldn't know which animal you know, it made the leap from. Um, it's a highly contagious, disfiguring, deadly disease characterized by fever, headaches, severe fatigue, body and back aches, vomiting, uh, and most notably, pus-filled lesions covering the body and face particularly. And that's like, that's a very classic disease, right? That is a, you you just don't have a lot of plagues anymore that not only are dangerous well we have dangerous plagues obviously but one that looks very plaguey right it just looks plaguey. like you you have like, the illness oh, and you, you have to see it you know what i mean that is a yeah. that is a classic cruel move by nature that, well, was, that was covid's downfall yeah that was covid's major mistake could have done better yeah, the rollout. I mean, when they when they planned that thing, they're like it was not not disfiguring. Maybe they enough. can People fix it in post. Scared Not disfiguring yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. So smallpox is caused by the variola virus, of which there are two main forms: variola major and variola minor. Variola major was far more prevalent in humanity, but it is also the more severe, more deadly version of the disease. So that's where you had a much higher chance of dying. And unfortunately, that's the version that most people would get. Uh, the term mm. variola comes from the Latin word for spotted, surprise, surprise, mm. due to the raised bumps that appear on the skin of the infected. Hence the uh, pox, the pox part of it. We don't have a lot of poxes anymore. A lot of our poxes have vaccines. Uh, notably, smallpox is only a human-to-human disease, which I think is interesting. Uh, it cannot be passed or contracted from animals. And I think that speaks to how scientists know that it's so old because we can't even give it to animals or animals give it to us. Uh, And so it would have had to have been in the human population for a really long time. It's like our own little present to ourselves. (laughs) Totally. That keeps on. Well, no, that doesn't give anymore. We'll we'll talk about it. So you can die at many stages of this disease. And so you basically just have to survive it till it runs its course. Uh, Deaths were typically due to systemic shock, like body-wide infection, and toxemia, toxins in the blood, during the course of the infection. So basically, you know, it's it's a disease that it it doesn't necessarily kill you in a direct way. It's just basically messing up your body so much that, you know, something else in your body is going to conk out. Yeah, and one way you can think about this, I mean, there's a couple interesting points here. Like, number one, we all learn about smallpox in medical school and then never expect to see it, right, because of the because of vaccination and the fact that it's essentially been eradicated. But it, it you illustrate a good point that I think a lot of people may not realize. I mean, we, a lot of infectious diseases, we think about how the disease, if it's very severe or dangerous, you know, causes can cause death and can cause these things. But as as we may point out, conditions like this, a lot of viral infections, a lot of the danger actually comes from your own immune system and it attacking the virus, but the byproduct of that damage causing the physiological changes of sepsis and low blood pressure and things like that that can cause harm. And so it's it's actually sometimes the body's response even though it's it's doing it's trying to do the right thing by fighting off the virus, but it's sometimes the body's response is the true danger with a lot of these illnesses. 
Right. Because like with with smallpox, I think sometimes it would be really organs failing in the process of trying to fight the disease, you know, rather than it's not the disease directly killing you. Right. But, you know, if you did survive the disease, uh, you would possibly have permanent scars often on your face uh, because the pox did typically always cover your face uh, and less frequently blindness from ulceration in your eyes uh, and related infections were also possible. Um, you could also lose patches of your hair permanently and everything because you'd have the scars even on your scalp. Yeah. It's just it's rude. A pretty nasty. Yeah. I mean, it's a very rude disease. Do you know how I got sick, these scars? Just... <laughs> Those small box. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, I think so many people would have had it back in the day and survived it because it would just do wave after wave after wave. So seeing people's faces all pockmarked was pretty normal, you know, back in sure. the old days. It may, this is, I find interesting about smallpox. It may have killed more people than any other disease in human history. And of course, this is something like scientists and historians, they don't, they can't quantify how many deaths it has caused since it began plaguing humanity. So... I don't think scientists often like to pick a disease and say this killed more people than any other disease ever in history because we just don't know going back. But smallpox is definitely up there, you know, because of its long history in humanity. It's kind of a cage match between between what black death and smallpox. They just got to fight it out. I think that'd be the other main contender, right? What other ones are? I mean, Ebola is too virulent. Yeah. Right. I think it Numbers just kills way, people too way, quickly. Way Mm-hmm. So its numbers are low because oh, yeah. it's just like, oh, oops, I just killed you. And well, then, smallpox is the old guard too. I mean, with time, you know? How yeah, because you... <laughs> yeah, it's been around for so long. So then the only other one I can think of is the Black Death. I'm sure we'll get emails. You're making me think of there's, um, I was just speaking yesterday with someone who, uh, when I was at the International Museum of Surgical Science, that there is a video game hmm. that I think is called Pandemic. You get to actually be the um the disease and you try to kill <laughs> humanity <laughs> well there's a board game pandemic where you fight the disease but i am not surprised if there is a video game that where you get to be the disease i like the video games where there's one that, that you got to be a shark and you just like swim around doing shark stuff and it's really kind of fun to be an apex predator wait aren't we we are apex yeah. predators aren't we yeah it's I'd more fun be to be chlamydia. a shark like would you? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just be somebody devoting a bunch of time to programming a game for like just a nuisance, like be the cold. And you're like, oh, I'm just my own yeah. inconveniencing well, people. It's, I don't know. There are amazing games out there. There's actually a lawn mowing game uh, where you start a lawn mowing company and you actually mow the lawn in the, in the game. And it's really fun and relaxing to play. I don't know why. Do you get paid? Uh, you do, actually. Yeah, you, right? you mow different lawns, and then you actually get money in the game, and then you buy newer lawnmowers. I'm not I'm Then not you have to fill out life. a 1099, and then that's, you know, you have trouble sorry, at home. That's the, you... that's the worst game. <laughs> no, the best part is if you're playing it and you're streaming it to your friends, they're all like, you know, they're all like dads and stuff. So they're all like, you're not doing the edge right. You didn't back up the mower right. You're doing it wrong. Why are you going that way? It is very stressful to play. Uh, with you need new watching. friends, Max. <laughs> <laughs> they all listen to this show, so you all heard it. Oh, wait, oh, no. Your friends are great. <laughs> but they watch you play a lawn mowing video game. Yeah, they got problems. I'm not going to say they don't. Oh, boy. Where so were we? Speaking, yeah, so, so speaking of how deadly smallpox was, 
Um, in just the last hundred years of, small, of the smallpox pandemic alone, it is thought to have killed up to 500 million people worldwide, which, you know, when I was thinking about that, I'm like, that's half a billion people. That's so many people. Yeah. And they basically came up with that number because it would kill like what, you know, in, in more recent documented history, they would say uh, it killed an average of about 5 million people a year. So times 100 yeah. yeah. Imagine being so comfortable. Like, imagine just living in a time when, like, it, so many people would just die every year, and, and you really didn't know why. I mean, you knew there was an infection, but you you just didn't know any of this. That that's just mind boggling to me. We, we would it just lose our minds. Yeah. We would. Yeah. I'm just trying to think how that would look in the modern world. We would. Oh man. Think about that. Plus, there's consumption at the time. I mean, it's just everybody yeah. got sick all the time. All of it. But think about how many people we are. If we, you know, we're we're better. Uh, caring for things like this, but if we've got was it multiple billions more people on the planet than there were yeah. hundred years we're ago, also, just with the yeah. proximity, and, like yeah. we would be. And screwed. we're so much better at spreading stuff. Oh yeah, like we're masters right. at spreading That's, things. We can get you on the other side of the world in a day. Absolutely. Mm. You know, and that was actually part of the reason why I really moved forward this with this subject when I applied for the residency at the museum was that I didn't in my exhibit actually make direct comparisons to COVID, but I did want people to come away from what they learned about smallpox with just a better appreciation for where we are today and what we went through with COVID versus what people would have gone through. Sure. So you're saying the public health response in Victorian England was not that impressive? Is that... <laughs> sure, there it's was like, a response, oh, but uh, yeah. Too bad. <laughs> by comparison, by comparison. They tried, though. You know, we will talk about that at some point. They did try. But um, so now with smallpox, there is a hopeful side to the story because it led to the development of inoculation techniques first in past eras that we'll cover, and then the invention of vaccination in 1796 with Edward Jenner in Britain. And that is a process which is now applied to a host of other diseases and saves countless lives around the world each year. You know, we're, I'll say one thing, James, we are not very comfortable on this show with hopeful and positive things. So you're going <laughs> to yeah, have to... There's got to be oh, a dark take, turn. Take, Come yeah, on. Take, take it easy on the, uh, the positivity. This is medical <laughs> okay, history. Okay. We're used well, to the darkness. We, we can go back to the negative. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we can keep it dark and spooky and... <laughs> and uh, Horrifying. Okay, so <laughs> smallpox holds... Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little bit hopeful again. Uh, smallpox holds the record as the first and still only human disease we have ever eradicated entirely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The last known naturally occurring case was in 1977, and the World Health Organization formally declared smallpox eradicated in 1980. Not too bad. Not too bad. We still have strains around, though, right? Aren't there? I mean, people are saving it in places. That's what I love about us as a species. We're like, yeah, this is mm -hmm. gone, but let's keep it in a bottle somewhere. Oh, yeah, just in it, case it we want to revisit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. potentially billions of people just put it in that lab. It's going to be <laughs> secure. I, so why not just so tape it shut? Just tape it shut. <laughs> no, like a couple minute, pieces. You have a horror story related to that that I want to share, maybe you know, at a future date. But yeah, there is there is a horror story about. One of these uh, little little uh, strains of smallpox that was being kept at a lab, and it actually did get out, but yes. only briefly, and it didn't 
you know, cause another pandemic, but, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so, um, but by sharing the history of smallpox, I hope people will glean that the story of small of the smallpox pandemic is truly a story about the whole human race and about how we faced a terrible and destructive disease together. And ev- I'm being hopeful again, mm. and eventually learned how to eradicate it together as well as how to fight so many other diseases with what we learned. All right. Well, let's let's try this positivity out. All right. I'm willing mm-hmm. to try. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's see. So I'm going to share some stories about smallpox through history. Um, and of course, this is only a portion snippet of its history as it's affected so many societies across the world at different times. It's it would take forever to cover all of them. Well, and I think it, I, I also wanted to interject here, too, because we're going to kind of give you a little bit of an overview of like what happened worldwide. And I, I do stress a little bit of an overview because we usually think about this from a kind of European centric, right? We think about the story from, you know, what we kind of knew in Europe and then coming across to the, the, the new world at the time and all of the, uh, the devastation that this disease caused to native populations here in North America and South America. Um, but it's, what I really like about your approach here, James, is that we're going to talk about different areas of the world. And I, I truthfully never really sat and thought about how much the world has struggled with this disease. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there because it's kind of a really cool view of it. And in the future, we are going to come back and kind of get back into some of the, the other parts of the story that we mentioned. But there's just kind of a world overview of what smallpox did. Yeah, thanks. Yes. Um, because, yeah, it is... Well, we'll get into it. Well, you know, it is amazing how it uh, it really did have devastating, I'd say, uh, impacts all over the world. We just don't realize that um, unless we really take a deep look. And with that deep look, we're going to start with smallpox in ancient Egypt and the Middle East. So there is an ancient Egyptian text known as the Ebers Papyrus, circa 1550 BC, that described an illness affecting the skin that many historians believe was smallpox. It's the same symptoms. Um, And then there's other evidence. Um, Ancient Egypt has provided us actually the most convincing evidence of smallpox in the ancient world in the form of their incredibly preserved Egyptian mummies dating as far back as 1500 BC. These mummies have preserved the skin rashes and pustules that apparent victims of the illness suffered. Oof. Yeah. The most famous of these is the mummy of Pharaoh Ramses V, who ruled Egypt for four years before dying from acute illness in his 30s in 1157 BC. I do want to point out, though, it's pretty incredible that that mummy managed to rule Egypt past past its death because you know I mean it's hard enough to be the pharaoh when you're alive but if the mummy <laughs> was ruling Egypt I'm even one step more impressed. I'm sorry I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. And and well so so how they determined that Ramses the fifth died of smallpox is because of the preserved pustule lesions on his head. Like they the way they mummified him you can actually still see. The smallpox pustules. Yeah, but did they even pull the DNA out and clone it? That's what they, yeah. <laughs> it turned into a velociraptor. You know, they opened that. They looked at, they like unwrap, you know, the, the mummy's head. And they're like, oh, gross. And that one guy just poked it. Like, <laughs> just had to poke the pustule. Because that's the thing There's about pustules. Curse. They are skin lesions. So pustules, you know, like you, you can look at the skin. It's red. And there's a white bump full of pus, hence the word pustule. And there, I think 
I, I know I don't speak for just myself, but any physician looks at that. Most of us just want to open it up. We just want yeah, to drain yeah, it. You speak was for it yourself. pus or no, is it more like right. chicken pox where it's like a clear liquid? Pus, I think. It's yeah, like pus. icky. Yeah. It might be like vesicular, like kind of what you get with, uh, I don't know. So these are pustules, not vesicles. Pustules, yeah. yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I actually so don't like know chicken what a vesicle with is. Milk. So. Chicken pox with milk. <laughs> We could put that on a t-shirt. Would you wear that shirt? That sounds like the worst breakfast cereal ever. (laughs) I think we can workshop a commercial for that that cereal. Muesli is probably the worst sounding breakfast ever. What? Muesli. (laughs) You gotta come for muesli, man. Muesli with plain yogurt? Come on now. Have you ever tried just regular German spelt? Like just the... Like processed wheat clumps. No. Oh, it's 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 a. I've bad, had the full really shredded bad. wheat rolls, <laughs> oh, it's so where bad. it's just the shredded wheat, like just like or, three of them in a box, and it just yep. drops in your bowl, yeah, and it's like this like loaf Weetabix. of wheat. Weetabix in Australia. There's nothing wrong with Weetabix. <laughs> Sorry, so, we digress. So going back to uh, the Middle East and ancient history, <laughs> what's interesting is so around um, 1350 BC. Egypt's great rivals, the Hittites, also recorded a mysterious fatal epidemic disease that they caught from their Egyptian captives when they were victorious over them in battle. And it appears that this was also likely smallpox. Hmm. So, of course, it was a shallow victory for the Hittites as the pestilence raged among them for 20 years, killing King Tupiliamus I in 1330 BC and his successor, and I've tried to practice saying this name, uh, Arnuandas II. Shortly after, I was I was eagerly I held my breath. I was like, I don't know how to pronounce. There's so many consonants and so vowels. I think it's Antonio Banderas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that's actually the right pronunciation either. I've never Somebody heard someone officially it. say Superlulianas. Yeah, so many letters. So um, another fun thing, fun fact is that in ancient Egyptian religion, the main force associated with plague and disease, so of course smallpox too, was the goddess Sekhmet. And her name meant strong, mighty, and violent. Um, She was a vengeful expression of the sun god Ra's power, and plagues like smallpox were called her servants or messengers. She was depicted with the head of a lioness and the body of a woman, often dressed in and associated with the color red. She was the goddess. She was a goddess of great power, commanding war, storms, floods, and plagues. Yet, apart from her violent nature, Sekhmet was sought out for healing as well, and was renowned for her knowledge of magic and sorcery. That's, that's like that's a lot of attributes for one goddess. Yeah, they just mm-hmm. put all the four horsemen in one one god. That's this is where you she's, you know she's be a fun goddess to be. A lot of yeah, other she's... cultures, I think they got a little bit too granular. They're like, okay, this is the you got to have your sun <laughs> god, you got to have your moon or the god of night. And then they're like, I know, but what about like the, the dust bunnies in the corner? Okay, well there's a god for that. And then there's this was just, you know what? This is efficient. This she like violence, all war, the pestilence all and uh yeah, healing. Why not? It's a devastating bad stuff. You know, yeah, yeah, that devastating stuff that we like, you know. All put into one. Um, All rolled into one. Uh, Next, we're going to cover smallpox in ancient Rome and Europe. So around AD 161, and actually you kind of covered this when you you guys talked about Galen. So I'll touch upon it and we can talk some more. 
Um, around 161, the Romans began an invasion of Mesopotamia against the Parthian Empire. Yet an epidemic of what historians believe to be smallpox was sweeping Parthia at the time. And when the disease spread to the invading Roman army, they chose to withdraw. And thus what the Roman army brought back to Rome was not a laurel crown of victory, but a terrible epidemic that would secure Rome's decline in the years to come, the Antonine Plague. Mm, we definitely talked about that. Yeah, so they called it the Antonine Plague because the two co-regent emperors at the time, Lucius Verus and Marcus Aurelius, who ascended to the throne, uh, they ascended to the throne as the adopted sons of the previous empire, Antonius Pius, thus bearing the family name Antonius. Were they like twins? No. <laughs> That's That would be weird. How can you have co-regent emperors? How would they not just fight all that? I don't know. Well, I was just going to say, if this weird. was Game of Thrones, it would only be one episode. Be like, yeah, you <laughs> got that part, I got that part. All right, we're good. <laughs> they were like best friends, I guess. They were like, because they were both like adopted as brothers, but they weren't blood related. Best I friends or besties? <laughs> See, I we don't know. Mm. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I'm here to ask the hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, but now, as you guys covered in a previous episode, the Antonine Plague was also called the Plague of Galen for the famous Greek physician at the time who described it. So I think historically, really, they called it the plague of Galen, not because Galen came up with any great ideas for how to fight it, but literally just because he wrote down yes. documentation yes. about it, yeah. like specifically about, yeah. yeah. He just, he basically said what was happening and was the authority on it. So therefore they named it after him. He couldn't do much about it, but uh, actually, no, it's not true. He could, bleed patients when they really didn't need to be bled and make them worse when they were septic. But uh, I mean, you know what? This is frustratingly true to this day about many viruses. I mean, the antivirals are not, I know pharma would probably disagree with me, but they're still not a super oh. impressive class of medications. I mean, some of them may have some activity, but a lot of them are like, eh, I, I don't you know. Might I'm not your entirely illness convinced. by a day or so. And, yeah. You know, so you like we still don't. Cool. Yeah, or your like, kidneys oh. stop working. <laughs> However, supportive care, like people, I think when I say that to people are like, well, it's all supportive care. They they kind of poo-poo that. But it, modern supportive care is pretty impressive, <laughs> right? I so, mean, we can do a lot. We've been doing it for 16,000 years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's the oldest treatment in the books. <laughs> I, so I think one of the points, too, to take from that is that, so Galen had no cures or real treatments for smallpox. But no one in human history ever has found a cure for smallpox. So it yeah. is kind of like what you're saying for other virals. It's a disease that if you get it, it's just about surviving it until it's gone from your body. Yeah. There, there is no cure. All we can do is treat the symptoms as best we can. Still undefeated. <laughs> yeah. Now, this epidemic in the Roman Empire would decimate the Roman Empire and may have claimed the lives of at least five to seven million people in the Roman Empire between AD 165 and 180. Some historians have even estimated that possibly up to half the empire perished to smallpox, uh, adding up the multiple waves of the epidemic. It's also speculation, since records from the time period can't really say definitively, though Roman historical records do share how devastating this disease was. And now smallpox may also likely be what killed 
the ruling co-regent emperors, Lucius Ferris, in AD 169 and Marcus Aurelius in AD 180, uh, as they were both noted as dying from disease similar to it uh, or similar to that epidemic. Of course, um, you know, because we weren't there, we can't go back and test them and say definitively. I feel like I'm going to go on record and say it probably was smallpox. I could make that claim. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like a supiliamus or, you know, yeah. So this epidemic was the main contributor to the end of the famed Pax Romana, Roman peace, which you kind of said before, I think, Mike, you were saying in a previous episode, um, which, you know, so the Pax Romana was a period between 27 BC and AD 180 when Rome's power was at its height. But after the Antonine Plague, Rome became increasingly unstable with civil wars and barbarian invasions. That happens to us all eventually. <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah, it might be a virus that takes us down. This sounded very threatening. You heard it here I don't first, know anything. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Later waves of the epidemic would, of course, strike Europe between the 5th and 7th centuries and continue from the Middle Ages on. It would typically kill about 30% of the infected in Europe, but leave about a third more permanently or partially blind, disfigured, and permanently marked. That's not good odds. It's not good odds. No, but supportive care in the Dark Ages, not really that great. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, you know, we talked about uh, the ancient Egyptians and their belief, you know, that it was Sekhmet. Um, in Europe, when you got smallpox, uh, they, you know, they would believe that uh, why it happened, you know, ranged from God's will or God's wrath or having breathed in bad air, which is how we get the words malaria you know, bad air, mal, adia in Latin. It's like one of those cases where they were actually kind of right, at least in, you know, I mean, let's not parse droplets, but uh, as far as, uh, you know, it kind of was exposure to at least bad air because somebody coughed all over it or, or whatnot. But you can also get, if I remember correctly, from the pustules themselves too. Yes, definitely. Yeah, the actual physical. Bad air and bad hugs. You know, <laughs> yeah, and... And you know that that uh, that pustule. Of course, we could cover this another time. But like that, the pustule stuff. I don't know what you want to call it. Could get on physical other physical objects, mm. and then if people touch those physical objects, hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't touch anything. Maybe That's not. Moral of the story. Yeah. Don't touch other people. Yeah, touch don't anything. touch anything in your environment, and you'll be fine. Exactly. Um, So treatments for infection in Old Europe might often include little more than herbal remedies, bloodletting, and having patients wear red clothes or expose them to red objects. This red treatment came from Japan. Expose them to red. Oh, think about this, though. This might have actually been like social distancing. Would they keep their distance from somebody wearing red and be like, oh. That would be the most useful part of it, yeah. I mean, it's at least it's definitely a non-harmful intervention. It's just it's so like your quarantine. Out, this is unless it's the way less fun version of the it... Scarlet Letter. Yeah, yeah. I heard about that where, like, you know, it hasn't 
have you guys talked about that where interventions oftentimes make things worse instead of better? So if you just do something that's like a placebo. Yeah, was, we've definitely it's it's better better than nothing. over and over again. There's a, there's a lot of, yeah. uh, sometimes yeah. the best thing you can do is not do anything and just wait for more information. Yeah. That's, yeah. So the placebos yeah. are probably the most effective treatments by far. I'm sure. Unless I went to a witch. I would, I would think. Yeah. We did one episode where we talked about witches had reasonable hey, medications. Man. They had at least they would have gotten like aspirin, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, so next, as as we'll move around the world, uh, we'll cover smallpox in Japan. The smallpox epidemic was introduced in, you know, since we just talked about a Japanese treatment. Um, so, so, the smallpox epidemic was introduced into Japan in AD seven thirty five. It had been carried from Korea by Japanese fishermen who had contracted the illness after time spent in the Korean Peninsula. Ravaging the country through AD 737, the disease killed about a third of the entire Japanese population in only three years. Yikes. Smallpox killed off whole swaths of the populace from nobility down to farming communities. It left significant migration and dislocation of labor throughout the empire, with a high economic toll on construction and rice cultivation, leading even to famines. So, you know, side effects. Mm Mm-hmm. Over the coming centuries, Japan would continue to experience epidemic waves of smallpox. But by the second millennium AD, the country would have less devastating outbreaks as the disease became endemic to Japanese society. It kind of, well, as they start to basically, as a society, you start to form, build up enough immunity, build up enough yeah, immunity for those who survive. They can hopefully pass that immunity on to people. Right. So people thought, now let's go to what they believed in Japan. People thought the disease came from possession by smallpox demons, or you could also call them smallpox devils. And so people would seek ways to either attack or appease them. And they actually, when I was studying this, it was interesting because there is a decent amount of artwork coming from Japan that shows this, Hmm. you know, pictures, pictures of what they thought these smallpox demons looked like and pictures showing them being fought off and, and so forth, or, Pictures of them attacking a person that has like spots all over them. <laughs> Beliefs consolidated that the demons were afraid of the color red and of dogs. Thus, ho- households, yeah. Thus, households would display dolls dressed in or painted red to ward off the demons, and patients with the disease would wear red clothes. That red treatment we talked about. Yeah, I think uh, as I, you know. It's easy to kind of poke fun again, but it's, uh, hey, at least this was not a harmful intervention. That's fine. Like, it, Yeah, it, wearing red and getting a dog, it's going to make you feel better. Yeah, but, yeah huh. dogs. I like that. You know. Dogs. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, they also would do musical displays, flowers, and incense was offered, even poetry written to glorify and hopefully placate the demons and provide recovery for the afflicted. Oh, man. how Did the quality of the poetry matter? Because I feel like it matters. <laughs> These would be haikus, probably. <laughs> It might be haikus. I actually, in my study, I, I didn't, you know, I don't have any with me right now, but I actually did read some poems. Like there were, there were a few texts I found where they actually have, you know, historical kept, yeah, you know, some documented. Were they decent? Poems. Were they like the decent type uh, of poem? It's interesting. Like if somebody was performing it, like let's say you were at a dinner party and somebody was like, <laughs> I wrote a poem and I'd like to share it with everybody. And, you know, it. Except you're going to have to sit there awkwardly, politely when you're just like this. Max is, is a poetry skeptic. I'm a poetry skeptic. Uh, and so like you have that kind of poem. I feel like the demons are like, no, we're coming right in. That's 
Demons are yeah, like, who's yeah. reading the poetry? I got you first. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that poetry or I love it. I don't know. You know, maybe that's another treatment we could, you know, we could think about for other things. Which poets were poems. best for which diseases? Yeah, we could definitely come up with a list. <laughs> Ode to. <laughs> so, so the Japanese read treatment, uh, as we, as we just discussed uh, a minute ago or a little bit ago, um, even spread to Europe in the Middle Ages with King Charles V of France in the 1300s and even Queen Elizabeth I of England in the 1500s, both wearing red to aid their own recoveries from the disease. Cool. Next, we'll talk about smallpox in Africa. Aside from its existence already in Egypt and the Middle East, smallpox spread to the regions of northern Africa, Spain, and Portugal during the Arab expansion beginning in the 7th century. Then, when Portugal occupied parts of Western Africa in the 15th century, it brought smallpox into kingdoms and civilizations of Western and Central Africa that had never suffered from the disease before. And I think that's one of the things, too. Like, people who have never met this disease, you know, especially, like, indigenous populations in the in North America, it's... And, and kind of going back to your mention of Japan, you know, you take this yeah. disease, put it into a big population of people whose immune systems have never seen this before, and that's where it hits really hard in the beginning. And so it's, it, it's just... Um, it's always... You hear this... This is a lot of the concern for visiting indigenous populations today, like the uh, the people who live on the North Sentinel Island out off the coast of India. They protect that island oh, because that. those those people who live there have done so for ever, basically, and they have no exposure to your regular diseases. They've not left the island in thousands of years. And so any one person wandering to the island, you know, if they don't shoot you with arrows, which I think they're very justified in doing, uh, it, you know, if you make it on there and you give a common cold or something like that, that has that for us is not a big deal. You don't know what it's going to do to an immune system. that's never seen anything like that. So that's kind of impress upon how quickly a, a novel virus like this could decimate a population, especially if it's able to cause severe disease. You know, and it's interesting because, yeah, when you look at this history, you know, since it's before airplanes and trains and all that, it's interesting to see how like every time it gets introduced in, in a new part of the world, you get that same terrifying story where like a huge percent of the yep. percentage of the population is decimated really quickly, you know, and then those remaining slowly start to rebuild. Yeah. yeah start to rebuild and, and have a little bit stronger immune systems to fight the disease in the future. I mean, thank goodness that the Portuguese otherwise were a positive influence, you know, didn't bring anything else with them. That was, bad. Oh gosh. <laughs> I think it's funny that same continent, you know, 800 years goes by, you know, in between these two plagues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yep. It's interesting. Yep. Like they were fine, and then yep, you get well, some Western Africa, and... Egypt, and the Middle East. So, yeah, is it the Sahara that's keeping people apart? I don't know. Probably. Oh yeah, why those civilizations were kind of separated? Mm. Yeah, like regionally. I don't know. That's a good historical study. But you know, you did have yeah, like once when when Islam spread across all of North Africa when the Arabs came across. You know mm -hmm. that uh, as I was saying, you know that <clears throat> also came with it a wave of smallpox. And then of course, yeah, when the Portuguese come to Western and, and Central Africa later, yeah, those civilizations hadn't really, hadn't really gotten hit with smallpox before that. So, 
So historical journals confirm that by 1700, West African peoples had adopted inoculation practices, which we also call variolation. So what this is, is a bleeding scratch would be made on one's arm into which fluid from the pustules or powdered scabs from someone who had smallpox would be rubbed in. The practice may have been adopted from travelers crossing the Sahara Desert from the Middle East, or it may have developed independently in West Africa. Uh, we, though earlier documentation of the origin of this practice is not available. But we do know that these practices also had a history in Asia and the Middle East. I wonder, did, so th did this lead to a less severe form of the illness? Yes. I yeah, so okay. basically, yeah, so basically if you had that done to you, what they discovered was that you would just get a much more mild version. And typically, you would get a much more mild version of hmm. the illness. Um, I think in some of what I read, uh, what I studied, they said that you might still have, and of course this sounds still devastating to, by today's standards, you might still have a 1% or 2% chance of dying from smallpox if you got inoculated or variolated, but that's so much better than like a 30 percent yeah, yeah. It's improving the odds. Yeah, so, you, so populations that did this, um, as they did in Africa and also sometimes in the Middle East and Asia, would be much more more well protected. Um, so now speaking about what they, what the, Af what some African peoples believed related to smallpox, the worship of Sapona or Shapona, the Yoruba people's God of smallpox and infectious disease dates at least as far back as the 17th century in regions around Nigeria. If he is angry, Sapona can strike one down with smallpox and curse them to die. Yet he also has the power to cure and thus has had a devote following. He is also referred to as Omolu and other names to avoid speaking his true name and possibly invoking the power of the disease. Brought to the Americas during the slave trade, he is known as Sakpata in Brazil, Shakpana in Trinidad, and Babalu Aye in Cuba and elsewhere in the Caribbean, where he is blended with Catholicism as St. Lazarus, who is a patron saint of the poor and sick. In Cuba and elsewhere, the festival of St. Lazarus is celebrated on December 17th, when the spirit of Babalu Aye is honored by followers. You know, it's crazy to think how many different cultures basically had, you know, adopted this disease and how, uh, or had adopted the uh, beliefs to try to explain this. I mean, there's so many different, we've already talked about many different uh, religious you know, kind of ideas about what, uh, what caused this. And it's just kind of cool to see how many, how different cultures kind of wrestled with this idea of this invisible force that uh, we know now as a virus that was causing this widespread death and despair. And, uh, you know, they have to explain it somehow, right? I mean, how else? Uh, I guess you got to explain it somehow. And I can, I can certainly uh, understand uh, the creativity behind a lot of these uh, beliefs, you know? Well, yeah, because I'm thinking it's, it's so far before we knew, you know, before germ theory, before which we could, you know, I'm sure you guys cover that on a lot of things, but before germ theory, before we knew viruses existed, you know, you have to come up with some kind of explanation. Mm -hmm. People need an explanation. Yeah. And I, I'm one of them. I need an explanation for things. So I don't begrudge that at all. Hello, gentlemen. May I interrupt with the conclusion to our earlier historic viewing? Oh, hey, computer. Go ahead, throw it on screen. We now return to our previously paused Elizabethan drama of stupendous stakes and smallpox. 
The date is still October 15, 1562, and an entire nation is in distress over the potential loss of their beloved British monarch. Yet it appears that Lord Dudley has finally found our good doctor hiding in no other place but his house. Hello? Oh, there you are, Dr. Burkhardt. The Queen needs you back at the palace at once. Long live, Long live the Queen! Queen. Long live the Queen! Oh, you again. But I just left the palace. Liz threw me out, remember? Me, the best doctor in the realm, just for saying she's got the pox. Uh, yes, but you were right, after all, my good man. She does have the pox. For Pete's pestilence, if she be sick, let her die. Call me a knave. For my goodwill... Oh, come now, you can't take it too personally. I mean, she had a headache. No, I'm not going back. Well then, if you won't come back to the palace and save her, I'll just have to cut your head off right here and bring that back instead. It won't save Lizzie's life, but it might cheer her up a bit. We could just toss your head around, make a game or cricket out of it or something like that. All right, fine. I'll go back to the palace and save the queen. I'll oh, oh, the, the queen. The queen. You don't have to get all head loppity offity about it, dear me. And so Dr. Burkott returned to the palace and with a bit of skill and perhaps a little chicanery, he miraculously saved the Queen of England from a deadly case of smallpox. Long live the Queen! Long live the Queen! The queen. Who are all these people saying that? Bravo, old chap. How did you ever manage it? Well, first off, I wrapped Queen in a great length of scarlet cloth, as the color red is particularly good at fighting the evil demons that cause smallpox. Next, I did some bloodletting, followed by placing the Queen close by the fire during the peak of her fever. Add to that a concoction of disgustingly bitter herbs, which I regularly make her drink. In other words, I use the vast, incredible healing power of that special substance known as pure and unrefined luck. It was just luck. My good Dr. Burkhardt, to thank you for your bravery and skill, I hereby grant you 100 marks. Oh, your Majesty is most kind. My usual fee is 200. I'm not finished. Also, a pair of gold spurs, once owned by my grandfather, Henry Seventh. Just what I always wanted, a pair of gold spurs, very practical. And a plot of land in Cornwall. Well, I hope it's a good plot. I have no idea. You'll just have to check it out for yourself. Now, where is my mirror? I need to see what I look like. There it is. Oh, dear me, Dr. Burkhardt, I look dreadful. Well, don't look at me for help there. Damn it, Liz, I'm a doctor, not a magician. A pox on both your houses, then. Oh, don't worry, my illicit love. I, I mean, my queen. Oh, the queen. You just need the royal beautician. Oh, royal beautician. Did somebody call for me? Yes, as you can see, I've had a bad case of the pox. My skin is covered in pox marks now, and I dare say my hair is falling out. I look positively awful. How will I ever get a man? Not that I want one. Girl, chill. I got you. Don't even sweat it. I've got a fabulous assortment of fierce wigs right over here. And like the best new foundation and concealer on the market for those pockmarks on your face. It's got a special new ingredient that I'll give you that healthy ghostly glow that's so popular these days. What special ingredient? It's called lead, baby. It does wonders for the complexion. We'll just slather it on. Now, let the master get to work so we can have you looking fierce like a real queen, okay? And thus, Queen Elizabeth I was saved from the scourge of smallpox and went on to rule England, looking fierce for another 41 years. You go, girl. You go. You go.
Wow, that uh, that had to have been accurate. There was no way that our time portal got that wrong. <laughs> Super accurate. I bet with the lead makeup, her face was heavy. I think it was heavy. No. <laughs> I. <laughs> well, she was a heavy personality. Hmm? No, I don't know. Um, I actually there was. Now I don't know if this is true, but I know that when there, there was um, people said that there was like something like an inch of cake to make up on her face, like what? when she passed away. But oh, I, it can't be an inch, but like, but a lot of cake done makeup because I think it would, you know, people wouldn't necessarily bathe. That's a skim coating and drywalling. <laughs> <laughs> like they'd keep applying the makeup, but not necessarily take it off yeah. all the time. I mean, it sounds like oh, a hassle yeah. to take yeah, it off. How did so her face blame. move when she tried to talk? Very didn't, stoic. Yeah, like didn't. stoicism started with her. It's it's like Botox for you know an earlier time, earlier generation. If you're wearing lead makeup all day and it was like super heavy, I bet you you'd like tone your facial muscles though. <laughs> Every time you smile. Yep. We were uh, taking a tour of the world, and I think we left yes. off. We're going to India next. Yeah. So smallpox in India. Uh, let's discuss that. Trade along the Silk Roads goes deep into ancient times. Some historians believe that smallpox, too, was carried to the Indian subcontinent from Egypt with trade sometime in the first millennium BC. The Susruta Samhita, a Sanskrit text on medicine and surgery dating to about the 6th century BC, describes quite accurately the symptoms of smallpox, including the fever, joint pains, shaking, languor, and pustules. Ancient records also tell of Alexander the Great's army suffering a fatal illness, including rash, possibly smallpox, in 327 BC while camped in the lower Indus Valley, which is in present-day India. Dating at least as far back as the early 16th century, a Hindu goddess of smallpox, Shitala, or also spelled or said Sitala or Sitla, meaning the cool one, has been worshipped in northern and central India and Nepal. She is often depicted dressed in red as well, sometimes with polka dots sitting side saddle riding a donkey. Or she can be shown angry, standing with daggers in her hands ready to strike. She is believed to be both a bringer of smallpox and able to help those suffering from it. I feel like the translation there is missing some nuance. I, <laughs> the cool one. <laughs> the cool see, one. Now, now it's Henry Winkler. Cool. He's the cool, cool one. <laughs> the Fonz. You know, I'm trying to understand that. The cool one. Like, cool. It's got to hmm. be. Uh, Maybe there's, having yeah, to do we're with missing fever? some context there. Yeah. Like she can control the fever. Oh. Yeah, like maybe to cool you down from fever if she's the one you would, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, offerings to, like you see her riding a, don- a donkey side saddle, you're like, you get hot and bothered. <laughs> and then she pulls out the knives to cool you down. <laughs> I mean, the knives are pretty cool. They are cool. Mm-hmm. You know? Sounds like a kind of a cool game. Just leave it at cool, like, like radical. That <laughs> goes back to at least the uh, 1290s, that, that expression. That's good to know. That's <laughs> So next uh, in our small, it's a smallpox world after all, uh, we're going to cover smallpox in China. Chinese texts refer to a destructive epidemic that swept their empire in 243 BC, believed to have been smallpox. It arrived with the Huns only decades before the completion of the Great Wall of China to keep them out. The Chinese, in fact, called the disease Hunpox. Ah, the tradition of naming infectious diseases after your enemies uh, has a long-standing history. 
Yup, sure does. Sure does. Spanish flu. Don't we know it? Entered the chat. No, oh, we know why it was Spanish flu because they reported on it first. Well, I know, well, yeah. but then uh, they named it after them uh, in, in a pejorative way. So, just saying, it's a it's a nice little little dig at your at the other, you know. Mm. Right, right. Like, yeah, like uh, blame your enemies, name it after them. Unfortunately, we've evolved way past that uh, in the modern. Yeah, era. yeah, we don't do that anywhere. <laughs> uh, Hunpox has got to be the cutest name, though. Oh, you have the Hunpox. <laughs> It is kind of a cute name, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's also lost in translation there. <laughs> Dating as far back as the 16th century, the Chinese developed an indigenous form of variolation, which we also call inoculation, whereby dry smallpox scabs would be ground into powder and blown up the nose through a straw for those who had never had it. Doing lines of smallpox okay. pustule more or less safe than cocaine. <laughs> that's... Like, I've seen pictures of it, too, so they would have these really long straws, you know, and so the person, you know, one person would take some of this dry, ground up, smallpox, yummy stuff, stick it at the end of the straw, and then they would, you know, put that up into the other person's nose and then and just blow it so in. So wait, they would like fire it like a spitball down your nose? <laughs> I think. <laughs> that sounds really unpleasant. They just had these lying around. There's no no other reason that we can possibly think of why they would have straws for powdered substances. Just as a coincidence, they just had think a few of the landfills back around. then. Yeah, that's true. Like, where would they have come up with that idea? Hmm. <laughs> they have no idea. Mm-mm. Just sitting around the campfire. Hey, can I get a bump? <laughs> <laughs> a smallpox bump. <laughs> yeah. Don't the smallpox. <laughs> the reverse spitball at the nose. I just oh my never... god! But yeah, if that were to happen to me, honestly, it would go up my nose, it would hit the back of my uvula, and I would just puke it out right away. <laughs> I wouldn't even get inoculated. <laughs> you know, we've been trying to figure out a way to work in some video content, Mike. I think we need to test that. Oh wow! <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I, well, now another another Chinese um, another blah, blah 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 blah. Let me go back. So another another one of the Chinese versions of variolation inoculation uh, would be that they would use fluid from smallpox pustules that they would gather on a cotton plug that would likewise also be stuck up the nose. That sounds more pleasant. Still gross, but more pleasant. But it seemingly makes sense, too. It's like they mm-hmm. knew well enough where this would be where the infection occurs. Brilliant. Yep. Yeah. They could have put it in any other hole. <laughs> I think it might have. Yeah, but yeah, fair, fair. They picked the better one. Better one. Could, could it have been? Could there have been testing along the way? Like probably. We'll honestly, stick it here. We'll stick it yeah. there. <laughs> like yeah, we stick it in your ear. It doesn't really do much of anything. Yeah. Or so, good thing you don't get true. diarrhea with this because you know where that'll go next. Yeah. <laughs> the spitball up the. Nope. Move past that thought experiment. I'm just saying. I, I know you. They are. pick the nose appropriately. Pick the nose. I see what you did there. And of course, when they did these things, a level of protection from smallpox was achieved, so patients would only suffer minor symptoms, kind of like the other form of inoculation we talked about in Africa. You would get you'd get a reduced version of the disease. And that's where we'll stop for this episode on the history of the smallpox pandemic before the discovery, invention of vaccination and distribution of smallpox vaccines around the world through the 1800s and 1900s and eventual eradication in 1980. We'll also cover 
the devastation that smallpox did upon the Americas. We will save that for this next episode. And then we'll have a bright ending to that episode. We'll try it out. I guess what uh, what that means is that's probably all we have time for today. So, well, many thanks once again to our guest, James Wilkie. If our listeners are looking for more information, go over to the show notes to check out links to his social media accounts and as well as to check out links to the museum. He did his artist in residency experience at the International Museum of Surgical Science. And we will have that all linked. So appreciate everyone listening. And we'd love to hear from all of you out there. If you'd like to send us a message or provide feedback, we can reach through our website, www.poorhistorianspod.com. There you will find links to our social media sites. We do take emails at poorhistorianspod at gmail.com. And we work to respond to all posts on our various social media accounts. If you have time, please go and leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes or whichever platform you choose that does help us raise the profile of our show and get more audience and if you'd like to support the show in other ways check out our poor historians merchandise including t-shirts mugs etc over on our website and if you're old-fashioned post a bill to the side of a building but be aware of those post no bill signs that's how they get you until next time the poor historians are signing out ama long live the queen i I'm well, going to be well, Queen Elizabeth if you want me to do the girl voice or okay. if one of you guys would prefer that for fun. And, you know, it just depends on what you guys feel. Oh, we, we lost our shame a long time ago. Um, <laughs> if you want to do Queen Elizabeth, um, I'll, okay. do, uh, I'll do I'll do Lord. I'll do uh, Dr. Burkott. I think Aaron okay, cool, sounds cool. more lordly. Yeah, he is lordly. Yeah, that's fair. And then. Uh, posh. Cool. Yep, see? See, there you go. And then Aaron, uh, you'll come in second. Oh, sorry, not Aaron. Uh, Mike, you'll come in second skit. All I've got okay. to do is act like my true self, superior <laughs> to all of you. Are we doing Long Live the Queen? Oh, 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 geez. oh. All, right, all right. Oh, Long Live right. the Queen. Long Live the Queen. Long Live the Queen. Long Live the Queen. Who's that guy? But will Dawdling Dudley dare discover the distinguished doctor? And if Dudley does, can Burkott beat the beast bearing its blasphemous bumps about its beautiful Beth's verbally? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to trip you. Oh, I, I was waiting for this moment. <laughs> I, re- I read the alliteration. I was like, oh my God. Oh, I love it. Uh, that was almost it. a one taker. You're so close. You're so I, was, close. I really was. My brain just lost footing. Royal beautician. Mike. Um. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <Let's prepare. laughs> All right, ready? Did did somebody call for me?